John and Abby Gold are the two members of Grapefruit. Thanks so much for joining The Antidote. Oh, you're so welcome. (laughs) (laughs) With having the band name Grapefruit, people must ask you about it. So I guess that includes me. How did you come up with it? Well, somebody asked me a long time ago what they should name their band, and I told them they should name it Grapefruit. And then he didn't do that. He named his band Secret Stuff, which I liked a lot. Yeah, we grabbed the name because, um, well, I guess what you're really asking is why. The why of it is like, it sounds like grapefruit. It does. And most people, when they hear it, they're going to hear grapefruit. It's like an interesting concept, right? Mm -hmm. That like sometimes what you think you heard isn't exactly what actually happened. And, you know, for me, that's a challenge. (laughs) To make things easier for people, you need to explain how the name is spelled. Yeah, it's spelled G-R number eight F-R-T. So we get a lot of questions about that, too. Is it great fart? Is it great (laughs) effort? (laughs) I guess simplicity wasn't something that I considered, um, but it's definitely uh, come up a lot of times. (laughs) You probably don't want to hear the fart part of it very often. I mean, if it gives people a laugh, yeah, all power to them, you know. (laughs) It's a good icebreaker. (laughs) Sometimes I get real, like, sarcastic and I say, well, out of the excess, the heart. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, I guess that's just, like, where your head's at, if that's the way you're interpreting it. (laughs) Really farty. (laughs) You know, it's not just your band name that's not typical. Neither is your music. It's indie rock, it's punk, it's emo. Really, you know, I'd probably call Grapefruit unique. But does having an unusual style work for you as an artist? Well, yeah, I mean, the vast majority of the events that we play take place, you know, with the nonprofit that we volunteer for. Um, We're staffed for them. Uh, It's called the Extreme Tour. So we have like a very diverse audience to begin with. Um, Everybody from skaters to homeless people to folks from local nonprofits like churches or food banks. So I think that it's cool that we have a little something for everybody. I think it works. I also think it's really fun to, you know, experiment and, you know, just be creative. Yeah, I think... For a long time, you know, John was making strictly folk music. Mm-hmm. And so it's cool now that we've formed this band together to get to branch out and make some really unique stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I mean, I think there was like a punk influence in my music before me and Abby got married. But she really brought out this sarcastic, like loud. <laughs> Lighten up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> part of me. <laughs> Is this the true you, or is this just the side that Abby wants to see? So I think it is the true me, for sure. I think um, the first thing that marriage like taught me that I thought was super profound, and it was after we had just gotten engaged, um, and we were just getting to know each other, I had this realization that like, for some reason, all the parts of me that I always hated, Abigail paid extra attention to and she would bring them up like in a way where I love this part of you. So it actually taught me to love myself better because I could see myself through her eyes. So I'd like to say that it is 
um, the best part of me, which is like the unfiltered part. What's the purpose of the tour? So the tour is an effort to express the love of God to people especially people who don't find themselves wanting to walk through the doors of a church. So we feel like we have to go to them. What that looks like is we try to go to cities that, you know, mainstream tours jump over. Smaller cities, a lot of times, our founder says, the easily forgotten corners of the spanning metroplexes or something to that effect. So we'll go to these these cities and we work with not necessarily the biggest, best nonprofit in town or church in town. We'll find somebody who has a real heart for the community, you know, just cares so much about their community and they, they're looking to do something to, to benefit people. So basically we have an event that's just designed to be an introduction point to Jesus like, we just want people to feel comfortable. And even when we do share the gospel with people, we want it to be as if we were like, you know, a really good friend of theirs, having a casual conversation. So yeah, we've been with this ministry since 2019. So we did around 50 cities in 2019. In 2020, as unbelievable as it sounds, we actually did 25 cities uh, during the height of the COVID epidemic, drastically social distanced. They're always outside. And then last year we did 42, I believe, on the West Coast. And each one of these years, there's been a team on the East doing the same thing. And uh, it's just a really good opportunity. Um, you know, we accept artists from all different faith backgrounds. Uh, we're a Christian organization. Um, but we think that people can get on board with what we're doing. Our message is like, there's a plan and purpose for your life. God is a noble God. He wants to know you. He wants to be with you. He cares about you. And like you can know him. You know him right now. Taste and see. Just reach out. Like what could go wrong? Like what's what's the worst that could happen? Exactly. And it's fun. Um, it's also really, really hard. Uh, you know, just imagine working 16 hours a day. Like that's the reality for the staff members. For the artists, it's a lot more laid back. But like... You know, it's worth it. So I'm really curious about the band itself. Like, why did you start up Grapefruit? Um, so we started because uh, in 2018, I got a letter from the um, tour that we volunteer for, the Extreme Tour. Mm -hmm. And they asked me if I'd apply to be an artist on the tour that year. Because they found his folk music on Reverb Nation. A defunct Reverb Nation account. Yeah. Um, I remember getting the letter and thinking, man, this has got to be something divine because <laughs> like, there was no effort put into it. It's just got to be something stronger than anything we could orchestrate. But um, they asked us to come out and, you know, I'd been touring for several years and like kind of living in the back of my van and then in the front seat of my Jeep Patriot, which is a lot more cramped. You know, just traveling and doing um, events in like the punk circuit or like house shows or like community centers, just wherever I could find a place to play. And I just felt like I didn't want to. Basically, I'd had a lot of friends that um, were musicians and had like a dream to pursue music and like it had ruined their relationships. So I made a really 
hardcore decision to like not put musical expression or like art over my wife. Mm-hmm. So I basically decided like to completely drop music um, and like not even care about it anymore, which was liberating. But when we got that letter, I just realized she's not going to want to stay home. So I asked her, do you want to perform with me? And then it just kind of led to, let's write our own songs. And then it just kind of led to, let's record an album. And like our first uh, EP is the one that we recorded basically right after Abigail had gotten taught to sing. You know, she kind of started like in one place and she's gotten like really, really good over the years. I agree with that. Abby, you are a great singer. Thank you. It's really encouraging. It's hard when you first start out. I hear your taste is way more advanced than your skill. So you always feel like you're not quite where you want to be. Well, isn't everyone always that self-critical? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So John didn't have to drag you into this kicking and screaming. No, I actually, he's like, I don't want to tour alone. And I was like, you know, please take me. He said, well, if I take you, you're going to have to sing. And so I said, okay. And then we recorded the album. (laughs) There were a lot of tears there. (laughs) Yeah, lots of tears went into that first album. Why don't we talk about that? Sure. Grapefruit's debut, I'm Alive Today Because You Believed in Me. It opens with poor seeds. And it says, if there's some will to fight, he's on the other line. And if this weight's too slight, Here, here, take the soldier's plight. But seriously, how many people are willing to be that sacrificial? Um, I think there are a lot more than you might think. I don't really know how anybody else perceives the world, but um, I'm in this really beautiful spot where I get to see amazing people who aren't getting any credit, and they're all over the place they're like burning with this desire to like change their communities or pour life into the people around them. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know. I, it gives me a lot of, um, a lot of joy because I know that there are a lot of good people like just trying to make other people's lives better. And aren't you yourself being sacrificial because you're doing this as a nonprofit? Yeah, we're, um, we're full-time volunteers for the extreme tour right now. We've been doing that for three years. It's been a really great experience. And we're talking about a lot of dates that you're doing on the road. Yeah, we do three cities a week for four months. That's wild. So see, you're just back into living out of the van. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you can say that. Thankfully, we have a place to stay every night. Yeah. Because of the people we partner with. Yeah, the people who have this great desire to, like, um, do something positive in the people directly around them's lives. Yeah, they'll, like, actually put us up and feed us many times. And it's a really, really beautiful thing to be a part of. (laughs) That's so cool. I've got another song I want to talk about from the debut. And that's Stand in the Way of Chekhov's Gun. And it seems to sum up the faith aspect of your band. But what I'm curious about is the Chekhov's gun part of the title. It means that every element in a story must be necessary. Is that really true of all the lyrics of Grapefruit? Um, 
I, I can tell you what, what that means, like why I named it Chekhov's gun. Mm-hmm. So Abby and I, like we grew up in a different religion than Christianity, mm-hmm. something that would be similar to like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormon. So basically, like throughout my early lifetime, I didn't have a close relationship with God. You know, in my early teens, it was kind of like a thing where I was like, I don't hear any voice. I don't feel any force. But I never completely walked away from the faith that there was something there. And it's like there was this entity, which I've come to call Jesus, um, which followed me through all these different things and was always acting with this compassion, saving me out of the fire and saving me out of the torment like over and over again. And like this force walked with me through personal, you know, mental decline into insanity, through substance abuse, through alcoholism, bad relationships. I think I've been kind of following God for about 10, 11 years now like really trying to pursue him. And what I've seen is that all of these things that I thought were insignificant and all of these things that I thought were like minor plot points have ended up being major plot points, have ended up being so substantive. And I think that like a lot of people are in this thing where they're like, what does all of it mean? How can I form some sort of order out of the chaos of all these random painful things that have happened to me and all these like terrible confusing spells you know mm-hmm. like how can i order this how can i find like some theme in it and like what i was trying to like point out is that looking back i'm now able to see oh my gosh i didn't fail like i thought i was a failure for so long i thought it was like worthless for so long every time things got serious i ended up botching it oh yeah but i could see back now and i see a theme that's collected out of like the dust of the remnants of all the things I tried to build. And this theme is I found myself in the midst of people that had a need and I was able to speak something that was good to them at that time. You know, and there were these moments that were like really definitive where it's like, this is who I really am. This is the moment that matters more than other moments. And you start to realize that without having any idea how it happened, your narration of your life got taken from you and rewritten by like a divine hand. Mm-hmm. And like the story that he's telling about your life is a story of love and your journey towards a purpose. And so that's the reason why I said it is like, you know, Chekhov's gun is kind of like if in the first scene of the book you see a guy and there's like a gun on the table, then like you have to use that later. That's right. And the idea is that there's something spiritual there that um, has happened for many people and can happen for anyone. I'm trying to say, I invite you to experience that. I was looking at it from a much narrower perspective. Now we've got the big picture. So now that we've got that all figured out, then I want to tie into something else. Since we were talking about Chekhov's gun and not having lyrics that don't serve a purpose, but I guess sometimes they really do need an explanation. You have the song Diversified Investments in Eternity, or Die, and the verse Braille Bibles written in a dead language, crying from the stucco on the ceiling. Okay, okay seriously, I have no idea where you're going with that. 
you've got to help me out. Yeah. Um, so Braille is for people that are blind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in case you didn't know that. No, which you I'm pretty ever, tuned yeah, into that. that. Yeah, so Braille Bible is written in a dead language. And then crying from the stucco on the ceiling. All right, let's let's start from the end and work back to the beginning. Crying from the stucco in, in the ceiling, that's like a reference to um, a great writer. And uh, you might have read some of his works. He said, uh, if I stay quiet, the rocks are going to cry out. But it's also like a testament to like the idea that anything can be used as like the voice of the creator, you know, like even a donkey. But also that being said, you've got this book and it's translated from these texts and there's so much dispute about what does it really say or is it literal or is it figurative or does it have many writers or does is it written by the person that it says it's written by or should we take it as a narrative or should we take it as a factual account that's kind of more law-based? Like, how do we take this? There's so much dispute, it's almost like it's written in Latin. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but even in that, when you're reading it, it cries out to you and it teaches you how to understand it because it's the word. Like, I would say that it's the force that created the universe encapsulated in a word, which is like a codex, you know, not to derail. Uh, but I guess the idea is that even though it's this complex, diversely understood thing, and like some of the diversity has to do not just with like all of that high-minded theological stuff, but cultural diversity, so there's like these diversely understand things and like as a newcomer coming into this or even as somebody who, you know, is switching religions, you got to wonder like how is it possible to extract any truth from it when it's so convoluted? But if I'm quiet, the rocks are going to cry out. And that's why it's so beautiful because even in the midst of this diversely understood thing, there's this like spiritual activity that happens when we submit ourselves to it and it starts to speak to us and describe how to conceive of all life in a way that doesn't hurt other people and doesn't hurt you and gives glory to that which is like conceived of it in the first place. You know, I guess it's just as somebody going from one kind of way of understanding the Bible and Christ and God and then like becoming subjected to like a different level of understanding and like, you know, having this tender growth process happening. But let me pull in something else because we want to talk about what's new. Last year, Grapefruit released Half-Life Carbon 14. And it's very different from your debut. It's much fuller, richer sounding. Uh, yeah, it is totally different. I think... A lot of bands' second albums are different than their first albums. I think it shows uh, growth, for sure. But sometimes bands have a sophomore release, and it's a failure. <laughs> Maybe. It wouldn't be the worst I... thing ever. You just make another one and try harder, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you know, failure is well, not that big of a deal. There are people who like our first album more than our second album. I will yeah. say that. The second one was really hard to do. You know, we had a lot less free time. 
and you know we had a different vision for it. Yeah, I think we wanted it to be more fun. Yeah, and Abby got like a lot more creative liberty with the second release. You know, like she kind of was starting out as a musician, so she was a little timid during the first one. So, you know, kind of the production style and the way that we approached the songs, like, was really rooted in, like, funny enough, folk music, because that's what I was so familiar with when we started. Uh, But, like, now that she has, like, a lot more creative liberty, you know, she did a lot of really cool stuff with, like, harmonies and being kind of, like, really aggressive with certain parts. You know, you talked about how much you love editing. I loved <laughs> editing <laughs> her vocal parts, yeah. And we're going to get back to you, Abby, to talk a little bit later on about the song that you're featured on. Oh, sure. You know, earlier on, I guess I asked about the band name, so now I have to ask about the name of the EP. So mm-hmm. why give it the title Half-Life Carbon 14? Um, so, like, Half-Life Carbon 14 is a reference to carbon dating. Like the process Oh, that's what of- they use on old people like me. Carbon <laughs> dating. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, some people think it's like a science. Some people think it's a pseudoscience. I don't venture a guess. But, like, I wanted to call it that, but it's a really sarcastic title. And the reason it's sarcastic is, like, I'm a person, I came out of one religious movement drawn by Jesus and to Christianity. And uh, there are so many questions and so many things I have to relearn. And one of the first ones is, you know, I had a lot of conversations with people about where do you stand on this theological idea of like, is it like a seven day creation? Is it a seven age creation? You know, what are your ideas? And one thing, like, when I'm asking questions of people who have faith that is difficult sometimes is people who I think sometimes feel a little uncertain themselves, they get really mad when you ask them certain things. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I know what you mean. Like, I don't think I'm a source of wisdom. I want to be in right standing with God more than anything. And, like, I'm starting to learn after all this time that the simplicity of this is, like, so beautiful and it feels like i'm getting returned to like childhood again and i love it um but like when i was writing that i was a little upset people were like there's no way to think of this other than this way and there's no way to think of this other than this way um and the reason why it hurt me was because i had a friend who i loved a lot and his main critique of christianity was the idea of the earth being, um, I'm I'm not really sure how old, like a lot of Christians think it is. I haven't done enough study. Um, Well, the Jewish calendar says it's what, 6,000 years old. Yeah. And like, believe it or not, I'm closer to believing that now than I've ever been. (laughs) You know, like, because it's a process. And I think that sometimes people, because of fear, I think, and I think it's fear that like God's going to cast somebody out when they're in the middle of trying to figure something out, which to me indicates that they don't know God in as intimate a way as they could maybe. I don't know. Just to kind of wrap it up, the reason why I called it Half-Life Carbon 14, we just think that like we really, really want people to be able to like enter into this family and like not have to figure everything out right away. You know, for us, 
if we hadn't had people take chances on us, like the first church we walked into, they were like, hey, do you want to like do children's church? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that's been so crucial to me is them not judging me for my lack of understanding, like right at the beginning. And I think a lot of times people argue about a lot of parts of the story and they bring these arguments to people. They don't need that kind of conflict in their head. What they really need is belonging and they need purpose and they need to know that like they're not going to be abandoned and they're not going to be oppressed and judged because that's you know like all they're used to in the first place like you know coming from like a worldly standpoint you know um if we make the door so small that nobody can get in you know by making them check all these boxes like as they're walking through it almost like deters people Mm -hmm. from like experiencing the force that can actually get them to change their minds about certain things I think my perception of that whole creation model has changed a lot. (laughs) My critique is just, please don't make people run away by arguing about stuff that's really complex when they don't have the ability to even understand. The new EP, Half-Life Carbon 14, starts off with My God, My Girl. And some of the lyrics say, Second hand, not second rate. You should just have kept your taste. I recovered, fall from grace. Please remind me how I never change. The funny part is, that's left me thinking about New Year's resolutions, where people love to begin the year with good intentions, but then they don't follow through. What do you think it takes to legitimately change? Oh, man. Change is so important to me because I know that like everyone has a destination. I don't know if everybody experiences this, but I'll make friends with people or meet people in public, you know, while we're out, you know, doing missions work. Sometimes I just look at people and I see this really amazing thing down the line for them. So like... I think that everybody is like on the way towards that. And I think that that is both the same for everybody, but different for everybody. I think that like change is a really, really important element of that because I think that it's really hard for people to change. Yeah, I don't know exactly what to say about that. And what do you think, Abby? I think how I would say it is I have to look at it from my own personal experience, which the only way I've really changed for the better is growing in my relationship with God. You know, I'm 25 now, and I was 21, maybe 22, when we recorded our first EP. And I think just getting older causes you to change too. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like that, that's, that actually popped into my head too. I think that is the right answer. Like, I think we're utterly useless to guide the building of, like, something that's eternal. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, human beings, we build houses and bridges and websites. But, like, all those things that are built kind of, like, in our image, they all cease to have the longevity that, like, a mountain does. 
I mean, I think I'm not really the one that's changing me. Like the closer, the closer I grow to God, he's the one that changes me. I'm not the one that's doing the work. I think one of the really alluring things about surrender to the force, which we call Jesus, like the really alluring thing is the idea that like, there's a way not just to take part in eternity now, which is mind boggling to think about, to take part in building something, which is going to have more longevity than the mountains. Like people get all tied up in knots about Aristotle and Plato and the Beatles, but like, that's not that much time. Like we're contributing to eternity spiritually as people now, you know, like by walking in relationship with Jesus. But of course, what you're also doing is that you're also changing people with what you're doing. Oh, that's a good point. I sure hope so. (laughs) That would be great. (laughs) I mean, I, I can't change people, though. That's the problem. You know, like the only way to change somebody is what the Bible calls walking in the spirit. Exactly. Surrender to God because like he is able to do something that we couldn't conceive of. That's so much more complex. Um, You know, John Steinbeck, the pearl, right? He talks about the Mm -hmm. pearl that's like, you know, magnificent next to like the inferior pearls. I always felt like the inferior pearl next to somebody. And what I realized when I first started reading scripture and getting to know God was that it was possible to stand up there and to do something or say something which didn't cause people to feel like they were inferior in your presence, but caused them to like connect with something that could like show them like their true worth and value. Yeah. Good point. You know, something else that's interesting, John, is something that you said about Half-Life Carbon-14 because you described it as Sucky Jesus fan fiction. <laughs> so you have to explain that. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Like, I think it's a statement that's like self explanatory, isn't it? True, but it also makes it sound as if you don't value what you're creating. Well, you know, like, how can like the clay say to the person who's forming the clay, why'd you make me like this? For some reason, I'm thinking of David Bazan, where he's like, in one of his songs where he says, like, because Jesus only lets me do the things that have been done before, which is like a really sardonic statement. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> do you really want to spread that sentiment, like, to all these people? But he did. But that is Dave Bazan, too. I can't judge him, bro. <laughs> I can't. Because uh, I like his music. And, you know, I hope he's doing okay. I really do. Maybe he's giving voice to something that a lot of people feel, which is good art. Like, that's the idea is, like, I can't do anything except for what, you know, God's made me to do if I want to be in relationship with him. So, I think, like, there's there's a really beautiful thing to, like, trying as hard as you can, you know, really shooting for excellence. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like, if I was to, like, force myself, because it's possible to force yourself to a level of excellence and creativity to where people will be blown away by your talent. And then maybe what's next is they start to look at you and they think, wow, that's such an amazing person. Wow, I want to be like that person. You know, like, they're so cool. But I don't know. I don't I don't want to be like that. You know, when I wrote that, it was at the end of like about five years of really serious depression. 
And, um, you know, like, I just felt like nobody wants to hear this. Nobody cares. Like the same ideas I'm talking to you about right now, I was bitter about where right now it gives me hope that there's a future for me. It's the best future. It's like a joyous thing to me to be who I am and where I am, you know? This is something that I so appreciate about Grapefruit compared to most Christian artists. Because your songs don't paint a picture of a pristine Christian faith. You guys are making it real and raw. Yeah. I think that like there are a lot of Christian people that are scared to tell their family and friends that they're contemplating suicide. And I think there's a lot of Christian people that are scared to, you know, talk to like maybe their husband or maybe their wife about the fact that they've got a problem with abusing drugs or alcohol. What if people who dealt with that sort of stuff could find redemption and like salvation, even from those things that they're dealing with, like when they come to other Christian people? Because meeting a Christian person is meeting someone who's like a satellite operator of God, you know, like a ambassador. <laughs> I like that term. <laughs> Brand rep. <laughs> now, Abby, I'm going to put you on center stage because you also made a big change on Half-Life Carbon 14 by taking over vocals on Daisies Like Lullaby. How different is it being front and center? Uh, gosh, I love collaborating with John. He's really like brought me out of my shell in a lot of ways. But I think I've always wanted to write my own music or, you know, be a solo artist. So it's something I've always desired. And that's actually the first song I ever wrote um, when John was out of town on a trip. He even said, why don't you write a song while I'm gone? And so I did. And it was that song. Then he's like, well, why don't we just put it on the album? I don't think it's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> but what does John know? Because he think the EP is, is Sucky Jesus fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Sucky next to like the original piece, right? Because fan fiction is like, you know, emulating. It's true. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. what I'm, what, it's, it's, you know what book I'm talking about. <laughs> it's second rate next to that, <laughs> yeah. obviously. But yeah, it was so fun to record. I actually got my friend Kim to do backup vocals um, and some harmonies in that song. Yeah, it was super fun. And it's also cool because John got to do some really cool lead guitar on that song, which was really unique and fun. Something else about Daisy's Like Lullaby. It says, God knows everything. He knows your hopes and dreams. Here's the big question. So with you two, is it up to God to fulfill your dreams or do you do it yourself? Oh man, like somebody I admire one time and described it to me like this. You got this guy who walks up to you and says, here's the key to this mansion, which is on the top of this hill. And then you start climbing the hill, but there's one caveat. You gotta get there by the time the sun sets and put the key in the lock and open the door. So you run and you climb and you sweat and you skin your knees and your hands and you're heaving because the air is getting less concentrated. <laughs> and you're just kind of like trying as hard as you can. And then finally, 
you're in the last 10 minutes of like dusk and you get over the top and you see that it's only a quarter mile from you. So you sprint as fast as you can and your heart beats and like your blood pressure is spiking. You feel like you're going to pass out, but you finally get to the top and you stick the key in the lock and you turn it to the right and you open the door and you find out that it's a cardboard cutout. It's like a movie backlot facade <laughs> of a house. So I think that even though I'm not perfect at practicing this, because nobody is, like we want our dreams to be like firmly rooted in the ambiguity of subjecting all of them to God. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's a collaborative effort. Hey, that's good. <laughs> that's a lot easier <laughs> to understand. I got to sell you guys that it's been great to have great fruit on the antidote. Thanks so much for coming for this talk. Absolutely. Oh, thanks for having us. Thank you.